your list it's a dog ranch bed and biscuit yeah. <laughs> guru O Mangalam Guru Devaya Devye Matriksha Mangalam Mangalam Bhakta Brindevyo Sarvalokaya Mangalam Om Stapakaya Chadarmasya Sarvadharma Sarupini Avatara Varishtaya Ramakrishnaya Mangalam Om Sarashiva Samarambam Shankarachara Majamam Ashmarachara Prayantam Vande Gurum Parambaram Om Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Deva Mahishwara Guru Deva Parambrahman Tasmai Sri Guru Venamaha Shri Ganesha, Sharada, Gurubhyo, Namaha, Hariyo, Shri Hari. So, sorry for the interruption. We're picking up where we left off the last couple of weeks, last from last week, in our talks. Talk number 21, I think, or 22 on the introduction to Kali Puja, the bird's eye view of a Kali Puja. Actually, a little deeper than the bird's eye view. We're, we're landing a few places. The bird land a few. But we're not, in a certain sense, we're, we're not going that deep. We can't go that deep, but we're actually going quite deep. Uh, so it's very nice. Uh, it's a great opportunity to talk about our favorite possible topic. It's Kali and Kali Puja. Worship <laughs> Kali. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, we finally, after so many, many, after 17 talks of these talks, mentioned Kali. As, like, <laughs> finally got to the Kali Puja and the introduction of Kali Puja. So now we're, we're doing the, um, the uh, last two weeks we did, began to talk about the tradition and the form of Dakshina Kali, this form specifically that's worshipped here at the temple and become the most popular form of Kali, especially in Bengal. And the tradition of how it came, where we find the month, this mantra that we're reciting, the Kala, the, the Dhyana Mantra, Dakshina Kalika Dhyana Mantra, that describes her form, this revelation, this method, of this form of, of Kali, uh, and uh, how it came to be, what his, like even, you can almost, almost attribute a date to the first time we find it written, this form and where this, this particular form of Kali became popularized by Krishnananda in a text called the Tantrasada, a collection of tantric texts in Bengal. Um, uh, uh, and so we talked quite a bit about that background, and then, and then begin the first song. I'll read the first two verses, just to, what we're, to cover what we're uh, talking. One thing I wanted to mention, because today on the shrine, we have extra, we have extra shrines. We have uh, a picture uh, uh, Guru Datta Treya today, today is Purnima Yesterday was Purnima Yesterday properly was Purnima I think by the Hindu calendar It would have been considered yesterday cause it's, it, But by maybe the Western calendar Maybe I think calendars may have it today For the new moon Full moon, I'm sorry And so this is um, uh, uh, Mag Purnima This is um, Magashi Purnima uh, This is considered um, uh, the main day, uh, the main birthday or anniversary or giant day of Guru Dattatreya. And uh, Dattatreya, really, we consider Dattatreya to be like he's Shiva himself. Of course, we, he's worshipped with three heads as Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, right? And there's a reason why, as you know, the different groups have claimed him. Uh, but probably in the earliest traditions, it seems to be that he was more associated with Shiva. In modern time, more modern time, the last five, six, seven, eight hundred years, like that, you know, uh, modern time, relatively contemporary period, uh, uh, he's associated more with Vishnu, because usually we think of Vishnu as the one incarnating, right? So he's considered like an incarnation of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, right? Uh, but in the yogi tradition, we see him as the original yogi, Shiva as yogi, as the proto yogi, or the first yogi, represent maybe the very, maybe the actual first yogi, or representing a very ancient. Uh, yogi, and we have like when we think of Shiva as Guru, 
we think of Dakshinamurti. He's like Shiva, so she, even Shiva bows to Dakshinamurti because Shiva's the, the guru of Shiva is Shiva as guru, Dakshinamurti. <laughs> and so as a guru, we think of the original guru as Dakshinamurti and the original yogi as Dattatreya. And of course, Dattatreya is a, is a founder, a guru founder of many lineages. So as a yogi, he's also a guru, but not like, you know, it's not like he traveled the world to preach you know, like Shankara or Ramanuja and Acharya going to teach a particular Siddhanta, right? Most likely, it's not most likely, according to the stories, he was living in the forest as an Abhut, uh, 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 probably, probably at a Duni. He probably had his Duni and some occasion, the stories go occasionally some people discovered him, right? Uh, and recorded some of the things, his teachings. He had certain disciples in the Tripurahasya, there are some important teachings. That's, an important, that's a very important one. And um, uh, many, I think the other day we told a little brief story from Tripura Rahasya. And Tripura Rahasya is an interesting text. It's, it's in three sections. There's the, what is it, the um, uh, uh, Jnanakand, the uh, Mahatmakand, and there's one more. Maybe maybe karma. I'm forget. I'm, 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 but anyway, there's three sections. One of them has been lost, right? It's the there's and also I'm, I'm, I, when I think of it, I think it's very fast. Swami Vivekananda, of course, scholars are saying this now, but Swami Vivekananda presented this during his talks uh, uh, that religion has three. Of course, religion has many different aspects, but three main aspects. Swamiji pushed. He says that it has a philosophical, like a, a foundation, a philosophical teaching. It has a a, a ritual teaching and it has a mythological teaching it has myths it has rituals and it has philosophy and so the Tripura Hasya is wonderful because it's the three volumes basically translate as philosophy ritual and mythology mm-hmm. it's exactly the three right and so I'm, and Ramana Maharishi especially was fond of the of the of the of this text the philosophical part uh, because it's although it's a, it's a glory of the divine mother Tripura, but it's, an, it's it's a radical form of non-dualism, right? Uh, uh, not the classical Vedantic non-dualism, but a radical form of non-dualism, like, like the Abhuta Gita and that trend of thought, uh, um, like this. But the uh, Mahatmakand is a mythological story. The side of it, I can't say it's, I'm not using the word mythological as like false, fictitious fairy tale stories. I'm, you know, it's a very deep part. And that only recently has be, has been two translations are available. And Adi Keshav sent me a link when he, when one of them came available. And we're really excited, so we got it. it's a big and it's, it's great. thousands of pages of never before in English read <laughs> books, uh, stories of of, of Dattatreya and Parshurama and all this stuff. It's a very very fascinating and all, and all about the exploit of the Divine Mother. Kali is also men have mentioned in it. And then the uh, ritual part of it has been lost. That has never been, it's not, there's no extant version of it as far as I know. But it's probably something similar to the, um, um, the Kalpa Sutra of Parshurama. This is the main text for Sri Vidya worship. Um, uh, uh, it's likely to be in a similar trend, uh, kind of school of thought. And it's also spoken by, by Parshuram, you know, the same idea. And so, so Dattatreya in that is, is, is the guru of or the founder, the, the, uh, the original revealer, him and his cohorts of Shrivijit, the Srivijja tradition, so the non-dualistic, tantric, Devi tradition, right? He's also considered the founder of um, uh, uh, yoga, 
right? He's the first, like when we think of classical yoga, both Hatha yoga, even actually, it's interesting, not just like Raja yoga, we usually define Raja yoga and Hatha yoga also. It seems to be, he's one of the, 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 like Hatha yoga as we know it, as we know it now, it's many things. A lot of it is Western physical culture, right? Even a couple hundred years back, it's influenced by Western physical culture. But you think of like Hatha yoga Pradipika and, and uh, Shiva, uh, 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 Samhita and these checks that reveal some early texts that reveal Hatha Yoga asanas like that, they can be traced back to the Nath Yogis and the Nath Yogis, the founder of the Nath Yogis as per tradition is Dattatoya right? they're the old Yogis right? and the, the Nath Yogis have influenced lots of other groups, like my own tradition is our own Sannyas tradition is we're, uh, of course we're Dashnami Sannyasis but we're uh, um, through the Akadas, and our Akada is the uh, uh, what's our Akada? Juna Akada, the old, big, wild Akada. <laughs> They're the wild, the, the bad boys of the yoga of the yoga world. Right? They're the ones that get on TV during the mela <laughs> for their for their for their for their drama, and and but are the the. Uh, it's considered the founder of the, the there's 52 lineages of, the, of uh, yogi lineages all of which can be traced back to Dattatreya the Junakada is 50, 54 lineages, 53 or 54 lineages all of which can be traced to Dattatreya. That's, that's how the grouping comes right? so in a certain sense and some scholars in the tradition will say at least from an internal understanding maybe not historical exact, exactitude but as an internal understanding is that, that it, those 52 lineages probably share the same source as the Nath Yogis. So I've even told there are certain mantras and practices, kind of like the secret handshake mantras that, that, that are given with, uh, handed down through a tradition so you know who's like that. They're not, they're not, they're not yogi mantras. So that maybe they're, oh, they, we borrowed them from the Nath Yogis. Who knows right? Or maybe they're the remnants of our original connection with the Nath Sampradaya. Um, but anyway, it's coming from Guru Dattatriya. So the founder and the... the, the, the uh, what is it? Tuturitari deity? How do you pronounce that? The Tuturitari deity? Tuturitari deity? deity is Dattatreya and Bhaira, these two. And so, also, so yoga is considered founded from him. Uh, uh, radical Vedanta, radical type of non dualist, like Advahuta Gita is the famous, the most famous of the that type of text. That, that's not, it's not like a practice, like normal Vedanta is like you meditate on the truth of Brahman and your identity with it, you know, and then you, you, uh, you, you hear about the truth, you meditate upon the truth, and really, you know, the normal standard for, this is something different, it actually ridicules such practices. It's like, a, it's like even, even doing that, it shows you're accepting duality, right? And, and we, I was in a talk with Swami Chidananda many, many years ago. I was not talking, I was in the, the room, <laughs> kind of on the outer edges of the room. I was very young and inexperienced. Uh, but somebody was asking about the, the, the Abhuta Gita. He says, we're a little bit confused. This is not to do sadhana. It says, it says devotion to God shows that you're stuck in duality, that you're admitting duality to this type of stuff. And, and, and Swami Chirinanda says, actually, Dattatreya, the Abhuta Gita, Dattatreya, this really, it's, he says, really, it's, it's uh, self-realized saints comparing notes. Right? It's from the position, not of the sadhaka, but of the siddha. Right, it's written. It's written from that perspective, right? And so, if you're trying to if you're trying to understand it from a different perspective, you're, you're going to miss miss it. So all you can do, he says, think what it must be like to, to see the world that way. Don't try to see the world that way because you can you can't jump there. You can't fake it. 
you have to get steps to get there, you know. But you're getting a, a little bit of a clue, right, from the, the uh, from the the, the 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 view from the heights, right? So Avahuta Gita and then a few other important texts like that. And he's mentioned the Bhagavatam and his famous story of his what is it, um eighteen gurus? Twenty four gurus. God, I'm not doing good for that. Eight the twenty four gurus. And there's a talk I gave if you click around on the on the podcast. I gave one of the 24 gurus of Dattatriya. It's, uh, we went through each one of them a long, a long talk, like a two-hour talk on the 24 gurus of Dattatriya. It's very, very uh, uh, wonderful topics. We can't, so that's not the topic tonight, so, but, but he's related, actually, because one of his, like here, one of his name is Digambara. He's a naked yogi. Of course, here, he's not naked, right? Not trying. But one of the names we'll get to today, one of the verses, one of the verses describes Kali as Digambari. Right, and also she's not naked here either. She's wearing a beautiful sari, <laughs> so we'll go a little bit into that. So they're related, you know, and for the same reason, actually, uh, what what that what that means. Also, so yesterday was uh, yesterday and today is Dattatreya uh, Jayanti. A couple of days ago was um, uh, um, uh, uh, what is it? Vaikuntha um, Karasi or Gita Jayanti, right? Uh, the day the Bhagavad Gita was revealed, very important day. The next day after that, Pradosha was um, when the birthday, the birth anniversary of Swami Nirmalananda. And most people here probably have not heard of Swami Nirmalananda. He is a disciple of Sri Ramakrishna, mm-hmm. right? He's not usually counted in the list, but he was a direct disciple of Sri Ramakrishna. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, early, on the early list, he's there. There's reasons. I'm not going to go into today. It's not a... Not a yeah. but, but anyways, at least on his birthday, we should mention him, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, Tulsi Maharaj, he was a young boy when he met Sri Ramakrishna. And he came to America. You know, he's one of the swamis that came to America, and he did a lot of preaching in South India. So yes, two days ago was his birth birthday. Uh, so we celebrate that also. And then yesterday was the thirty first, which is um, solstice, the solstice, winter solstice, right? And so winter solstice, of course, is a very auspicious day. And it's actually this whole Christmas season is centered around it when. From the darkest night, now the, the days begin to come brighter. In the middle of darkness, light is born. It's a very deep symbolic thing, uh, important festival in every in every in every realm. Uh, but for us, also, it has a has a particular meaning. Also, as the day that Haridanji, Sri Haridan Chakraborty, who is the Pujari at Dakshinishwar, who uh, brought Ma and did her Pranapatistana, and who uh, came seventeen, eighteen years to do puja here, and uh, and also he's certain sense the guru of our of our puja tradition he taught us the pujas and started authorized and trained us every year a little bit by bit ba- really baby steps none of us knew how to ring a bell <laughs> so uh bit by bit so and the day he passed away on this day so i actually don't know his birthday but we know his 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 samadhi day um so his he's on the shrine today and today by by the date is holy mother's birthday she was born on the 22nd of December. By Titi, by the astrological day, she's born on Saptami, and that could be on the 28th, next Friday, I think, next Friday. So anyways, a lot of auspicious things together. So uh, uh, it's an auspicious, very uh, wonderful season. And oh, today is Bhairavi Jayanti. Today, in the Dash Mahavidya tradition, today we worship uh, Goddess Bhairavi, the very fierce form of the Divine Mother, one of the Dash Mahavidyas. Kali is also, it's one of Kali's rupas. Sure, she's up there. She's fifth. fifth. Uh, by the way. <coughs> so, so the, the, I'll, I'll back to our original topic. Uh, the Kalika, the Akshina Kalika Dhyanam. 
ओम खरलावरणम गौरा मुक्तिकेशन चतुर्भुज खादिकम दक्षिणादेव्या मुंडमल विभूषित फिरसम गेपी माउ फ्रीली फ्लोइंग हेर एंड फोर आर्म्स द डिवाइन दक्षिण खादी इज अडोर्न विस गार्लैंड ऑफ हेड्स सज्जिन्न शि खर्ग वाम ढोर्व खरंबुज अभय वरदम चाव दक्षिण उर्वाधर पानीकम इन हर लेफ्ट लोअर एंड अपर हैंड शी होल्ड अ फ्रेशली सेवर्ड हेड एंड अ सोर्ड हर अपर एंड लोअर राइट हैंड शो द जेस्टर्स ग्रांटिंग फियरलेसनेस एंड ब्लेसिंग्स सो दिस इज वेर वी लेफ्ट ऑफ लास्ट नाइट लास्ट वीक महामेघ प्रभाम श्याम Megha means like cloud like uh, um Mahamegha is like a she is like a great cloud a huge cloud or overwhelming cloud right and of course this could be i mean we have to assume a few things but we, this could be describing her color right that her color is shama which means dark or black kali means black in a certain sense by some one, one version of the word doesn't just mean that but uh uh but she's not black shama is not the color it's just black right it's the color of a really deep huge cloud which means a monsoonal cloud right and so krishna is the same color right i know we like white krishna as we were talking today who you were saying one all radhas apparently radha and krishna are very uh white it seems but krishna means black and shama sundar means black and beautiful <laughs> Shama Sundar, you know, Shama Sundari. She's black and beautiful, right? And 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 so actually, it's described sometimes. She's so so. One description is that is like this description is like a like a huge cloud, but she's black like a cloud, which means rain cloud, and huge, powerful, overwhelming, awe-inspiring cloud. Mahamegha means a monsoonal cloud, like when the, when the monsoon first comes, right? There's a beautiful Dhyan Mantra we use for Radha and for Krishna. we were shipping krishna i don't remember it right now because a uh, uh, perfect time to forget these mantras um but uh, uh, it's it's beautiful it says that he's like the color of monsoon cloud and his cloth he wears yellow right he wears yellow cloth that's like the color of the lightning in such a cloud what a beautiful thing it's like you know it's like you have the, the uh, rain cloud and with lightning that's krishna's color and his cloth right that beautiful so it's using it's the the the, the the images is is very natural and, and and it's within the experience of most people who would everybody who would chant this mantra we don't have exactly monsoons here and we barely have rain what to speak of monsoons <laughs> right but uh monsoons are a big thing so where people are waiting for the monsoon right brings blessings right it also in bengal the monsoon doesn't only bring blessings right by the time it gets to monsoon it it also gets floods and it's too much for things you know it's over it's it's all inspiring without it we die but it also comes at a it's very fierce also it's like floods and 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 torrent like that it punishes as well as blesses you know it's great it's a, I mean, it's maha uh it's it's overwhelming this huge cloud right prabham right shamam So here maha megha prabham shama means is dark dark how like a dark like a big cloud like a great cloud dark like a monsoon cloud that's what this means prabham shining right resplendent 
you know the, the prabha means like like prabhat is like the um um uh, um it's a word for the dawn right when when so it's like but so it's interesting so either she's so she's so dark that it shines the darkness shine that's one way it's often interpreted but if you look prabham make that into prabhat that's a root of of of, of the dawn in the darkest, what's the, at the dawn, at the dark, the, at night of this darkness, from that there comes light, right? So it's like, it's interesting, at, 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 within the darkness there is light, that's, called, we call that dawn, right? Something changes, there's some, some it's not normal darkness. Within that darkness, there's, it, it's, it's a luminous darkness, right? So it uses this term for the dawn, shining, her color is dark, shines dark, like a gray cloud. This is the image. Uh, Swami Vigyanananda, Thakur's disciple, uh, he has a, he did a translation, the first, I think it was the early, only translation for a long time, of the Devi Bhagavatam. And uh, in it, when Kali is just mentioned, he gives no commentary. He just, straight translates the verses right it's, it's you have to jump in and get you jump in and swim in the deep end when you try to read his his translation of the Devi Bhagavatam huge 18,000 verse uh, but there's two or three places where there's one sentence of commentary in a parenthesis where he gives a, he glosses an idea and one time Kali is mentioned right and then that and her black color and then he simply gives comment his kids his, his he, in parentheses he says if you stare at the sun and you look everywhere, you see only blackness, mm-hmm. right? This is, she's so bright that you see blackness, right? That's, he's, she, it's so bright that there, you, there, you, it, it's dark, right? It's interesting, that was his understanding of how it shines darkness, shining darkness, right? In some of the descriptions also, it's like midnight, the, the color of like midnight, with something, because sometimes you see some, she's painted black or she's painted blue sometimes. It's like Krishna sometimes black or she's blue. Right, and sometimes they paint them like like garish baby blue or sky blue or ocean blue like this, right? Uh, but actually, shaman is like midnight blue. That's a color, I think, right? It's like not black, not blue. It's like a, it's so that's another uh, idea that blackish blue, right? Which is very much like a rain cloud, also, or like the midnight sky. As splendors is a huge cloud, dark shama, uh, and then tata chayava. What else about her? This and also digambarim, and she's digambara digambarim, which means simple translation naked, right? But you can say naked. I actually don't know the simple way to say naked, so everything's poetic, right? But um, here digambara is a specialized way of saying naked. Uh, um, Sometimes it's translated poetically as sky cloud. <coughs> Ambara means to wear, right? So, like. Uh, uh, Krishna, Vishnu is Pitambara, right? He wears yellow, right? One of the names of um, uh, Shiva, um, what's the name? What's the word for for tiger? Uh, Baga, Baga, Bagambari, Bagambara. I know there's an ashram in Allahabad, Bagambari Mat, right? Shiva who wears a tiger skin, right? So Ambara means to wear. So what is she wearing? She's not wearing yellow cloth. She's not wearing a tiger. I mean. There may be descriptions of her yellow cloth, I don't know. And there, may be, there are descriptions of her wearing tiger skin. In the Chandi, she's described as wearing tiger skin. But here, it's, uh, he's not, she, what is she wearing here? She's wearing the dig, 
Dig, dig means the directions, right? And so we have in the common Hindu, we have digpalas, the, the deities or the guardians of the directions. We went through those, I think, last, last time. Indra, Agni, Yama, Nairitriya, or um, uh, Rakshasa, Varuna, Vayu, Kubera, Shiva, Vishnu, and Brahma. These are the ten directions, the eight directions, and the top and down. This is the full. Yesterday, for for uh, the for the solstice, we did a we do a a prayer, special prayer from the Mexican and Native American tradition, invoking all these directions. I mean, not we don't do all we do the south, north. You know, it's like a lot of cultures are very conscious of directions. We're actually not. As a Boy Scout, I was conscious of direction. We learned how to use, you know, we learned how to do that type of stuff. But I don't think since then, I guess I don't know if it's because now we have our phones tell us where to go, and it doesn't matter very much. But it seems to be important, a sense of direction. What's that great line from Kermit in the, in the Muppet movie? I lost my sense. Help, I've lost my sense of direction. Have you tried Hare Krishna? One of the great running jokes in the first volume. It's a great line. Right? I've lost my sense of direction. So we need, so uh, um, you see in the in the M, at beginning of every chapter, he describes the date, where it's taking place, right? Like at Dakshinishwar, at the bank of the Ganga, at Kali's temple, right? Then he describes the date, both in the Titi, on the dark night, the third day of the dark night, of the month of the moon, of, in the month of Shravan, something like that, right? Um, and then it describes according, and then on 13th January, according to the Christian calendar, he gives both the, the Western date and the, and the astrological date. And then he says, Takur is sitting, you know, on his, on his bed facing north, right? Or on the Western veranda facing east or something. I mean, I'm just, I don't remember it, so I mean, he knows more, but where he sits, you know, but every, he always is conscious of the directions. Right, it's like he's. It's, of course, it helps us visualize. If you know Sri Ramakrishna's room, you can say, "Oh, he's sitting there, and he's facing now. Now there's something there. He couldn't. Now there's something you can't. But you can imagine. You can even go. It's like, oh, Takur sat here. Mm-hmm. You can you, you can sit there. It's like I'm gonna sit where Takur sat, or, or look where Takur sat. You know. Mm-hmm. So it's helpful in that sense. But I think it's more. I mean, he he lived in a world. I mean, there's one. One Swami from. That Maha Swami Jayendra Saraswati came from. Uh, there's one great scholar, saint, Swami, who came visit here one time. And I picked him up somewhere and was driving him to the temple, right? And he immediately said, so we're going, we're going towards um, the, 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 the west now, right? He goes, yes, Swami, yeah, I think, I mean, we're, on the, you know, we're going towards the ocean. We're going towards the ocean west coast. He says, why? He says, right now it's 2.30, right? And I'm looking at the shadows of the, of the truck in front of us. So I know we have to be going west. And I go, like, <laughs> okay, you know, like, like, but surely, like, he's he hasn't forgotten that we've forgotten directions. Mm-hmm. We've lost these things are very important. Which way you sit for meditation? These things that used people used to, used to be considered important. Vastu is based upon it, right? Yantra, it's based it's because everything's a yantra, mm-hmm. and and even you get like let's true tantra and vedanta and and, and 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 advaita. The one expresses or seems to express is everything. So the one expands. And one in in the Kashmiri system, the Dikpalas are Shiva's rupas as he spreads himself in different directions. So Indra is him spreading himself towards the east, right? And 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 Varuna is him spreading him towards the west, right? East, yeah, it's, <laughs> trying to get this right. It shows you I'm so bad. I don't know the opposite of east. That shows you we've lost our <laughs> we've lost our sense of direction. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's right. Hopefully. Uh, 
right? So it's like the directions are not just arbitrary, not just a sense of, of space and like that. It's like the one expressing itself in time and space. It, it spre- spreads itself as these. So that's one way of, think, way of thinking of these directions as Shiva's own rupa, Ma's own rupa, as she, as they, she expands and spreads herself, right? Uh, but then they're also, they're, they're protected deities also. So they're in each direction we think of a, of a, of a deity that's protected. So it's also not only the one expanding, but it's also the one protecting, holding the space, you know. And so anytime you sit for a puja, you sit, you sit on your asan, right? These are the four directions, right? You're surrounded by the deities, protective deities like this, you know. Uh, so she, what's Ambara, what is she wearing? She's wearing the directions, so that's a beautiful way. So, so, so in a certain sense, she said, it's like saying, oh, she's, she's only wearing the directions. Right? So that means that's a, that's a poetic way of saying she's naked. She's, not, she's wearing the directions. Right? You know, what is that, uh, uh, what is that, that funny line of, of Marilyn Monroe? It's like, what somebody asked you, what do you sleep in? It's like, in, what was it? Chanel number, five. Ch- number five. You know, her clever guy. What do you wear with this bed? I wear Chanel number five. Right? I mean, she sleeps naked. You know, that's, that's like a, a clever, a poetic, appropriate for her life, her her personality, right? Colleague's personality is slightly different than, than Marilyn Monroe. So she describes her, it's described that she wears the, the direction. But saying the same thing. In one sense, it's, it's saying, it's describing that, right? But a direction is infinitely in each direction right in other words that 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 she's her like uh, we wear different like what is it, think what is umbra what does it mean what does it mean to cover to wear clothes i just gave it away one of the things you wear clothes is to cover right to limit right to cover you know in a certain sense right so what's her limit she has no limit her limits are each direction all the way right as far as you can go and you can go you know uh, ever expanding right until the universe pops, the bubble pops, <laughs> okay, as per string theory. Um, uh, <laughs> heard in the radio. I don't know anything about string theory. I heard a radio. <laughs> That's all I know right now. The pop, bubbles popping on each other. Okay. But but so but 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 even that you, even that idea that from from one bubble another bubble comes, it's expanding in all directions, right? And then expands and all everything is always expanding. So she expands. She nothing nothing covers her, and she expands. In other words, she she expands and. In infinite, in infinite direction. So it's another way of saying she's infinite, mm-hmm. right? Or a better way to say another thing you could say is she's unbounded, right? Nothing can cover, nothing can hold her, nothing can can. Uh, that's another thing. So the other way of saying she's infinite, unbounded, right? And 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 a, a common thing in 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 the yoga tradition is a way of saying unbounded. An, an example of something that's infinite or unbounded is like the sky. Yeah, Sukadam, that famous mantra, Gagana, what is it, Gagana? Yeah, so, so she, that, uh, you, you, uh, the Guru is like the non Brahman, infinite like the sky, right? Of course, the sky is not infinite. The sky is a perfect symbol of the infinite, right? Because you can't think of it. Swami Vivekananda said, people think, oh, we, uh, the iconoclastic type of uh, traditions. No, no, God's infinite. You can't think of him as a form or her as a form. Right? But even the term infinite is just, when you think you imagine some big thing, you, the ocean or the sky or space, you think bigger than that. Right? You know, like it's just, still just an image, a mental image. We don't know really what the infinite is. But it's a perfect symbol of the infinite. even better than the ocean. It's like the, the sky seems to be infinite. Right? And we may have an atmosphere, but it doesn't have to end there. It, it, it keeps going, the infinite like the sky. Um, 
So that Gagana is also used in the uh, um, Abhutu Upanishad that we talk about a lot. I think Abhutu Upanishad. I think so. Paramahansa Upanishad. Abhutu Upanishad. We give all these classes. Nirvana. Hmm? Nirvana. Nirvana. Ah, thank you. Nirv- thank you. Ah, it's very bad. Nirvana Upanishad. One of my favorite Upanishads whose name it's so important to me that I forget <laughs> the name of it. It's important, but I'm getting old. You know? <laughs> my brain's slowing down. Uh, Nirvana Upanishad. Uh, it's it, it's it's it says the beautiful my favorite line right is gagana siddhanta right what is the siddhanta the conclusion the teaching like the 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 the, 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 the hmm? siddhanta means attainment but it means like uh, it's like the what's believed to be the ultimate attainment right you know it's like like uh, um like the Advaita Siddhanta, the ultimate is is non-dual, or there is Bhakti Siddhanta, the name is devotion, and there, and you could say like if you take a religious tradition, if you were to define it like one set, what's the what's the truth as understood by that tradition, right? There's Siddhanta. I you know my own Guruji. He one time met, talking about his uh, uh, Swami Omananda was talking about our our, our Guruji Swami Vishnuvananda and about another disciple who he was having some struggle with, and the comment said, oh no, he has a different Siddhanta now. He doesn't. He doesn't agree with the, the the conclusion of his guru, right? And therefore, there's a break. Naturally, he doesn't hold the the, the goal of life and the, and the and the reality to be attained. He doesn't agree with that anymore. So there's there's respect and love, but there's no longer that's no longer a disciple. You have it's not what's the, the siddhanta. If he disagrees with the siddhanta, there's no there's no uh, nothing else to be said in a certain sense, you know. So in this Upanishad, Nirvana Upanishad, it says Gagana Siddhanta. Our conclusion. The conclusion of a monk or Paramahansa, as it's described, right, is Gagana, like the sky. How beautiful that is! Infinite, right? What can be said? You know, anything can be. Well, the sky holds all conclusions, right? It contains everything, right? So our conclusion is that not that there's no conclusion, is that there's no nothing absolutely can be said. It's beyond. It it it's infinite, right? And another line it says Nirvan Devata. Who's our deity? You say, oh, what's the deity of a Kali tradition? Hint, Kali, right? You know, what's the, what's the deity of a Vaishnava tradition? Vishnu, right? What's the deity of a, the Paramahansa tradition? Nirvana. Could be, oh, the deity is to attain Nirvana. Could be like that. But Nirvana Devata, I believe, means unbounded. Our conception of the deity is also unbounded. Nirvan. Nirvan. That, that the older use of the word Nirvana. The meaning, the meaning has, um, what they call it, it has uh, migrated in Buddhism to, 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 within the, the realms of proper meaning, but it's taken a little different. And even the word nirvana, right, in, Bud- in, in Hinduism, in the Gita, nirvana is nirvana, Brahma nirvana, liberation into Brahman, right? Without liberation, nirvana, right? Not quite the same way as Buddhism. They use it in a certain way to counteract the Buddhist interpretation. But in other mantras, there's mantras for another naked deity, Bhairava, Right, today's Bhaida Vijayanti. Bhairava is described one verse. It says he's Nirvana. And that's always interpreted to be naked. Interesting. Because without covering, without bondage. Right? We seem you call it like oh people like nudist, oh I want to be free, you take off your clothes. There's some there's a there's a sense of that, you know. So that also Nirvana also means naked, can mean in prop in its proper use, right? So <coughs> Infinite like the sky, covered in space, uh, 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 um, uh, uncovered, uncoverable, un, 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 like this. 
And there's another aspect to get. Uh, we've talked about this in our classes on the Kali Sasanama. The, uh, on, 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 uh, that there's something about a naked deity compared to a closed deity. It's like we have idea of, of she has unbound hair and you have deities with bound hair. Right? Lakshmi, Saraswati have bound, Parvati has bound hair. Durga, Kali have unbound hair. Right? Lakshmi, Saraswati, Durga are dressed, are always dressed. Right? Lalita is usually shown dressed. Right? Kali, Chinamasta, Bhairavi, um, um, uh, um, like this, uh, are shown naked, painted, iconographic. They're they're digambari. They're uh, so that has a certain meaning also. When that one idea of dressing, we say, oh, the naked savages or the naked tribals. There's the idea that that civilization, in a certain sense, is not unrelated to a sense of properness and dress and conformity and, and uh, modesty according to the culture. There's something, you can see how it's related to that also. And so the fact that she's a naked deity is seen that she's undomesticated, right? And if you take her to be Pakriti nature itself, right? Not just the Tattva of Pakriti as an opposite of Purusha, but as nature itself, like mother nature, right? The, the content of nature as well as uh, the container of nature, right? She's... She's uncontrolled, un, uncontrollable, uncontrolled. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, weeks ago also. If you think she's also the jungle deity, the forest deity, Vana Kali. She's um, um, uh, um, the mountain, the, she's from Vindyavasani, right? Uh, that uh, this is a, a jungle. Right now, it's I mean it's there in UP at the edge of UP, you know, on the on the, on the but it's where the mountains come to the plains. The mountains would have been jungle, and the plains would have been where like, like where Benares starts in a certain sense, you know, where where the high Brahminical culture starts. But the forest was the forest. The jungle was the jungle, right? And people would go the Vindhyavasini temple is beautiful, incredible temple. I've been there twice, I think, with Guruji. Um, People would go there if we understand the, the believed history of the place. I can't speak uh, um, historically exactly on it, but from the understood history of it, people would go there and make offerings to the goddess of the jungle, a form of Kali Vindyavasani, the one who lives in the Vindyam, who's from the Vindya mountains. Uh, and because they're making, they're worshiping the source, they're, I mean, they're worshiping nature and the raw nature. And we talked last week also, people go into the jungle, into the forest as hunter-gatherers. If you think of early society, perhaps. I mean, these things that can be challenged also, but the general idea that you... And so, you go, and then you, it, you, don't, you hope you gather what you can, right? And, and, you, and you think thankful because this is the source of your life, the source of your family, right? But then something happens when you realize, you know, it's like those animals we go very dangerously to hunt. And also very insecurely to hunt. No guarantee you catch anything. What if we raise them? And now hunting becomes back in the backyard. That's the beginning of perhaps a way of understanding the beginning of animal... Uh, uh, what's it called? Not agriculture. Domestication. Domestication of animals and this type of stuff, right? And same when you go, you go into the forest to, to gather uh, seeds and plants and roots necessary for life, right? For healthy life. Um, you go out, you don't know what you're going to find. Right? And it's dangerous to go out, and you may get eaten when looking for something to eat. That's the nature of the forest. The forest means uh, it's a fish to rule the fishes. Big feet it eats little fish, right? And even little fish eat big fish, bit by bit. You know, so the mosquitoes eat us. You know, it's uh, the that's the nature of the of, of nature, right? 
you realize actually we gather those seeds and we plant them ourselves, right? Then we can control them a little bit, right? And we seem in a certain sense, now we're controlling nature. We're not really controlling nature, but we have some idea of control, right? So this is perhaps we're superimposing something that has nothing to do with Kali being Digambari, but this is an interesting topic. I think, I personally think it's an interesting topic, right? A way of understanding the kind of domesticated goddess versus undomesticated goddess, man, human, and not only human but man's man, the man humans, uh, relationship towards nature, and therefore the man's relationship in the gendered culture and world, the man's relationship towards women, right? Women is the source of life, and pretty soon they, the men control the source of life. You know, you can see that whole struggle within the gendered realities of culture and, and history. Uh, but anyways, Kali is uncontrolled, untamed. Right, she may be uh, lovingly disposed, hopefully, towards us, right? And we go, we go at the end of the forest and go ma. We make offerings and sacrifices during to go back, and we hope that her blessings are with us, right? right. But she's not really. But here once again, she's clothed here, right? Although the Dakshina mantra, Dakshina Kali mantra, is meant for is describing Kali in the home, worshipped by householders in Dakshina Marg. Right, this, we talked about the source of the Dakshina Kali, right? But still, and she's described as naked, Digambari, but she's almost never worshipped as naked. During Shama Kali, you always dress her in saris and red saris, and, and you know, like here also, Dakshinishwar, she doesn't just wear saris, she wears Barna, Banarasi saris, Banarasi saris, the beautiful silk uh, style. Uh, she's treated as a queen, not only the mother. Your mother's, you know, you don't want to see your mother naked in public, so we dress her. She's our mother. But she's also the queen of the universe. At least the queen of this area and the empress of the universe, ultimately, right? And therefore she's, she's worshipped royally, right? And also, even though we're dressing her, right, she's still Digambari. The mantra still says he's Digambari, right? So the dressing is our way, it's our way of approaching her. There's no other way. How do you approach I remember one time we were we were changing Ma Sari once he when the priest came, and I remember uh, Pranab said no lock the gates and close the curtains, wow. right? And he says what he said, he said no no our mother, you know because mother, you know we don't you don't other people shouldn't see your mother naked, right? You know it's like Kali's ever naked you can't be covered, right? But still the mood is that of affection and relationship you have to develop what we do do is like the, the wildness of nature that's not I mean you can be like overwhelmed by that. But how do you invite it into your home and, and pray and worship and feed with, with pudding, you know, with rice pudding? You know, it's a different, it's a, you need a, so the covering, the way you cover, the way you dress, the way you decorate, the altar you put her on, all that's a way of, of bringing these, this cosmic, infinite, inconceivable, uncontrollable uh, uh, power, the power, the one ultimate radical reality, and making it as if, or maybe actually, here, where she not only can you feed her, she has to eat what you feed her, right? You know, it's like mom, eat it. It's like mom, you like, oh, come on, eat it. The son, mom can force force feed, but you can also force feed your mom. <laughs> I made this for you. you; have to eat it. <laughs> I'll be angry if not. You know, like you can have, like it's it's ridiculous to think that we can have such a relationship with the infinite. But that's the secret of puja. That's the secret of bhakti. You make the infinite. You can say we can catch the infinite, or the infinite lets itself be caught, like Krishna let himself be caught by, tied by his mother, right? She kept putting rope and rope and rope and rope, all the rope in the world, in the three worlds, she says, right? Couldn't bind Krishna because he can't be bound. He's infinite, 
right? But then he let himself be bound, right? You know, by his mother's love. No rope in the world can catch him, but his mother's love can catch him. And then the verse in the Bhagavatam says that this milk, this um, cowherd girl, milkmaid girl, right? Of course, we know she has a back history who she actually is, who we believe she is. But let's just take it as it is. She's a gopi. She's a cowherd girl, right? She's been able to do what no yogi has ever done, right? After tens of thousands of years of meditation, they can't catch the absolute. You can't conceive of the inconceivable. She's tied him up. And he's not only that, it says when, when she's do like that, he's like scared of her that she may get spanked at this. <laughs> right? Of course, this may be, oh, this is just silly stories. I don't think they're silly stories, right? They're, they're very profound ideas, right? You can, right, by relationship, uh, uh, comprehend the incomprehensible. This is a this is a big this is what we're doing in pujas. We're doing in meditation. We're doing in devotion, prayer, right? We're relating to the infinite. So we're even dressing the one that's undressable, right? The gambari. So even though she's dressed, we know she's not dressed, right? Even though we conceive of her, we know she's inconceivable. Although we can name her, we know she's beyond our ideas, right? Our ideas of like this, right? She's like it like this. Kanta avatam, or another thing, diga ambarim, ambara, ambara, closed in space or closed in sky, sky clad. We also use the same thing for uh, Jain monks. There's two sects of Jain monks, Shwetambara and Digambara. Those who wear white cloth and those who wear don't wear anything, which means they wear space, right? That's where the same word is used in in, in the different different traditions. Uh, Shiva is also Shiva is also Digambara, although we usually see him dressed in in, in tiger skin like that. He's actually naked. Shiva is uh, described like this. Dattatriya, um, same thing. Dattatriya is always naked, but on almost every poster you see him wearing yellow because it, the yellow means he's Vishnu, showing him his Vishnu, right? That's why it's shown, right? These are iconographic um, markers to understand how the language here. So he's a form of Vishnu wearing yellow. There's, I can't think so. Adikeshav has collected Dhyan mantras on Dattatriya. And there may be a few where he's wearing, but these are considered quite late uh, descriptions of him wearing yellow cloth. But usually he's seen as wearing, he's Digambara, uh, not wearing anything. Same principle. And so. There's also yogi like the Jain yogis who are naked, or, or uh, monks, and like the Naga Babas, our own tradition is the Naga tradition that are that 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 are naked. But actually, most Naga Babas I know are actually are not naked. You know, they're they're actually some of them are quite dressed, <laughs> layers and layers of shiny, uh, flashy, shiny, reflective silk, orange, orange, or bright orange, or things like that. And also, and like right now today, the various which is today at the Kumamela on this Purnima is when they're putting the, the, the ikaras are putting their flags down. And upon those flags, the, the camps are being built. Today is an auspicious day. It's a very big day in Allahabad today. For coming for the next uh, Artakumba, all the ikaras are established, right? And, so all, and usually in the crowds watching videos on, online of uh, people from their Facebook Live videos, <laughs> Babas with fake, like, like my Facebook Live videos, you know, <laughs> Naga Babas were, were, were uh, with cell phones and, and Wi-Fi um, plans. <laughs> But there's a few of them that may be naked and ash, right? Most of them are wearing sweaters and hats and scarves and shutters because it's cold, right? <laughs> right? And also because it's legal, 
right? You can't walk around naked uh, 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 easily, right? Uh, uh, it's against the law, you know? They're given some leeway during the mail and things like that, right? And also it's cold, you know, you have to be practiced. So it's like, so I, one, one yogi told me, I was showing an email back uh, in a discussion, I think it was maybe Rampuri, Baba Rampuri. We were discussing through an e early email uh, when his book first came out. Uh, we were some some exchanges for email. And he wrote me about Naga. He says, a Naga Baba is not a naked man. It's an unfettered mind. Mm. Right? So that was, again, the symbol. Just like her naked is a symbol of her unfettered her unfettered consciousness or uncoverable, you know, as we're talking. Right? So really, a Naga Baba is supposed to be one who's who's beyond, in a certain sense, unfettered by maybe the thought process itself, beyond the mind perhaps, or beyond culture and rules of, of, of society, right? They leave, monks leave society, right? And you can't get more leaving society, like not only unbound hair, dreadlocks, right? Not just not clean, covered in ashes, not just not dressed properly, naked, you know, it's like, even if it's symbolic, maybe it's ritual, like, or maybe it's actual, maybe they, they do it very little, but it should be internally, they should be, Un, un, unfettered, right, and and, and 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 beyond at least theoretically or internally or symbolically or deeply beyond uh, uh, the, the restrictions of society and the definitions of society of caste and creed and and those type of things, you know. But practical is practical. They still, you know. So practical is practical. We we still cover them all <laughs> in beautiful red sari, beautiful gold jewelry. Kanta Patanam Sta Mundali Galirudarachitam. So about her we talked about her clothes. She wears sky, space, infinite, unbounded for her clothes. And we dress her not only in beautiful clothes, we also dress her in beautiful jewelry. Right? Gold jewelry. Right, Ma has very beautiful jewelry, and temples. You see the old. There's some temples. Oh my God, the jewelry at some of these temples. Of course, Balaji is famous. You see, yeah. But like I went to this one. Where is that? Um, Mukambika temple in 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 South India. Oh my goodness. You, did you go to Mukambika? You didn't go. I think was that on your list originally? No. Yeah. Okay, I forget if it was on your list. Uh, but uh, uh, did you go south? Yeah. yeah, okay. Maybe I'm thinking somebody else who went south, I told to go to Mukambika. Um incredible temple, but every they change they change her jewelry three times a day. Right. And if you go to a certain darshan, she has one of the biggest emeralds in the world believed. And you catch it only for a second. They open the doors in the evening arati and when the when the camper goes around it just it almost I mean it blinds you as it shines on the thing and then they close the doors and who knows I'm sure they put it in some safe or something because <laughs> you know it's probably like that but she has beautiful jewelry right so Ma here also has beautiful Dakshinishwar Dakshin, uh, beautiful uh, in the Katamrita also not only M spends a lot of time talking about directions and times and dates and spaces and like that he also spends a lot of time talking about describing the inner shrine of Dakshinishwar and describing the jewelry Ma wore Right, some, some of that jewelry is not there anymore. We know there was some theft, and like there's some there's a history of why a lot of that jewelry is not there, and jewelry style has changed, right? And so it was a, a, a but very interesting the descriptions of the type of chokers she wore and certain types of necklaces that that are antiques. Now. I mean they don't they don't even make them anymore. Nobody wears them anymore, right? But interesting to read what type of jewelry, 
So what type of jewelry does Ma wear? Of course, here she wears beautiful gold jewelry, right? But she also wears something else. Let's see what she wears. <laughs> a garland of heads hangs from her neck, dripping blood. That's, that's a beautiful description. In the first month we mentioned, she's adorned as a garland of head. Right? Uh, now this is just ex- another way of expressing it. Uh, um, a garland of heads, uh, garland of heads hang from her neck, dripping blood. So it's 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 re- restating this detail, and we've already talked a lot about how uh, how the, the the garland of heads is usually taken as to be symbolic of or representing the syllables of the Sanskrit alphabet, right? Um, uh, uh, that's how the one, when Shiva becomes, when the one becomes a many, seen here, one way of interpreting it is Shiva manifesting his Kali, Kali stepping forward, the white pure consciousness becoming black means all primordial consciousness, all colors, every potential, every potential is in the, every color is in black, so the, every, everything's coming out, and from that one sound, that first pulse of Om, comes, differentiates into different syllables of the Sanskrit alphabet, uh, and therefore, all possible language and therefore all if taken by syllables it becomes all possible sound all possible language if taken as vibration it becomes all possible vibration if it becomes manifestations all possible manifestation you know actually from in english we have what 60 26 letters right but actually we really if you analyze it we have around pure sounds we probably have about 54 50, 50 exactly because we have, we don't have we don't have enough alphabet to, to match our sounds and therefore, you have accept this and all these rules, you know, that, uh, 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 how, uh, and, and some words that don't, it's very difficult to learn English if, if it's not your, your language because nothing's, nothing's spelled the way it's, nothing sounds the way it's spelled mm-hmm. or spelled the way it's, and very few things are spelled the way they sound, right? Uh, but, but, uh, uh, but from these 26 letters or 54 sounds in pure Sanskrit, right, you get our language, right? And so you get, you know, we have a, we have, you know, I don't know how many. I, mean, I do know how many books we have. How many books we have in our library, right? A couple thousand books, probably three thousand books we have in our library right now. Uh, uh, all of them are only fifty-four letters or twenty-six letters. And how many? What's what's a, we have our, our punctuations in English is like eight or nine main punctuation marks. I forget what it is. You know, right? Uh, it's that. So all that knowledge. All that creativity and art and, 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 and discussion and revelation and, and confusion, everything is there in just these, four, these letters. So these, this, how this one thing, how the one became, becomes became, became, everything. It's, it's part of the, the main, that's the main interpretive meaning of, of her garland. And we mentioned briefly, because I want to mention because this is a topic, is that it's also described usually as demon heads. Right, we mentioned this a little bit, right? And so this is a little thing is that, of course, and you never see women, I saw an art recently, painting, where had, ma, had female heads also. And you know, this is just somebody, this is new art by somebody who doesn't know iconography. It's a mistake, you know, it's like, a, so I deleted, you know. <laughs> unfriend. You sent me a picture with ma with, with female heads, unfriend, I'll unfriend you. You should know better, right? Now you know. Go back through your... your, your uh, because they're not following the Dhyan Mantras. They're probably a well-meaning person who has devotion for Ma, but devotion for Ma should also be... It's not like nothing's ever been written about her before. Right? We should, we should, these things have meaning. They're not, just mean, they're not just what you think they are. They have a, real, they have a meaning, right? Or, or a tradition for... Hmm? Why demons? 
So, so, so that's why why demons is that is that once something becomes manifest, in a certain sense, it's no longer pure. Right in a certain sense, because what happens when it becomes manifest? When it becomes manifest, it's no longer eternal. Right, it has a beginning, it has a life and an end. That's why it's a it's a living being, but now its head's been cut off, or its body been cut off. Everything. However, <laughs> you want to do it like that. So it's a symbol of something that's manifested and lived. It's a real thing, right? But it's dead, or dying. Right, so, so so that's a very important thing is that the eternal, and the problem in in the Western world and in Christianity, we we've we we have a, not a very exact clear understanding of eternal. We usually think of eternal life as living forever. We get to go to heaven, live forever, or hopefully not go to hell and suffer forever. Right, right. That idea is not a really long time. It's not forever. Right, it's beyond time. It's beyond the movement of time. It's the eternal, not even the eternal now. Now is the wrong word. Either. We use this language. Uncarefully, right? Now is also only really is a type of just a moment in time. Right? The immediate moment in time is called now. It's not the eternal now, right? Uh, uh, but it's it's beyond time. You know? So and so and the reality. When we say, "Oh, God is the imminent and the and the transcendent," right? The imminent is the expression as everything, right? Which with another way of saying that is name and form, right? Time and space. Swamiji described time, space, and causation as the nature of Maya or manifestation, right? And so that means temporary, right? The temporary manifestation is the temporary manifestation, right? And the eternal is the un- that's never going to that's never going to look like a never going to look like a garland of skulls. You can't cut the head off the you can't kill the temporary the the permanent the the not permanent that's wrong all that means not changing the, the eternal that which is beyond time, right? And so. In, in in the other like uh, we had yesterday uh, this morning and last night the really far out uh, yogi a Tibetan yogi who was here we enjoy his company very much so it led me thinking a lot of because they worship um, in the in the yogic aspect of Tibetan tradition they worship Shiva and Mahakal Mahakaleshwara Mahakali they worship Vajra Yogini they have these uh, Buddhist versions Tibetan versions of the of these Hindu deities or. Hindu versions of, the, of, of, of of reality, you know, different views of reality. And they also have lots of garlands of skulls and garlands of heads, right? So their their views are not exactly the same as Hindu in Hindu iconography, but it's interesting. In Hindu, we talked about this, I think, in our in our I was trying to look it up earlier in our talks on the on, on the on in on the Kali Sasanama. But in Buddha, in Tibetan Buddhism, a skull represents emptiness. Right, you can make that's a perfect symbol of them. That this is an overly perhaps you could say no, but this says like, skull means wisdom. Or, okay, fine. Generally, I'm talking in generals, not in specifics. Right, the skull can be interpreted as representing emptiness. Right, um, and a head. I say I had to say. Manifest manifestation represents so a, skull, a, a skull represents emptiness. And oh, another thing in in Tibet in Tibetan iconography, skull. It's not just what you have, what the thing is, but what it's strung on. Of course, these beautiful rudrakshabi are strung on nylon thread from the bead shop, right? Right. But skulls in Tibetan Buddhism are strung on the hair of corpses. Let's get let's get rad, radical here, right? <laughs> and skull and and severed heads are strung on the entrails on entrails. 
So some, if you look at something, like, oh, that's what that art. If you look at, it's highly stylized when when you see these tankas and these mandalas in the Tibetan and and and. Tibetan tradition and in, even in the Nepali tradition and things like that, they become, you're like, oh, that's what I'm doing. It's highly stylized. It's not, it's not and you're like, oh, that, now I understand what those wiggly things are, right? But that also has very deep meaning. That because what's the, the, the emptiness, which is the ultimate reality, is seen in, in, in Buddhism as an Atman type of thing, and everything is devoid of ultimate permanent self from that perspective. And what's the hair of a corpse? That you can't get better. Of a symbol of of the of of the changing non non real, the thing that seems to be growing, the thing that's grown from something that's already dead. It's a very it's a perfect it's very interesting. The the the, the symbolism is very very powerful. Um, so the 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 entrails are seen also as as a. a um, So the heads are the manifested forms, and here in, in the Tibetan system, the entrails are the eternal source. It's a very interesting description, right? Right, or the unchanging reality, right? And so we mentioned also, like like Krishna says, to he he uses much more Krishna-like description, not so Kali-like, that everything is all beings are strung on me like beads, like pearls on a string. Right, I am Sutatma. I am the the essence of everything. So we're all here. We are everything, not just us, but everything. Everything changing is strung upon me, which is unchanging. And we mentioned also we noticed how these are cool, and they are. Everybody can see these cool beads, but you don't notice in between. That's hard to see. In be- what's 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 inside everything? What's all this is a manifest? What's unmanifest? What is it manifesting? This is the idea, right? So. Why demons, right? Demons, or why sever, why cut off heads? Why, what, why, why such a dramatic thing? It's the thing that's dying. It's, that's, you can't show something more temporal than something with its head cut off, or its body cut off, right? It's, 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 it's something that's already been killed. That's everything in this world. As soon as something happens, it's already dying, right? Every moment is dying in, in, in us, right? The temporal means all the time changing. So it's not just what it's strung on. It says, it says. Munnamalibhushitam. She wears a Mundamala. So and we all say, oh it's not like we we come here to worship the Mundamala. We come here to worship Kali. She wears a Mundamala. Right? We're not worshiping a Mundamala that related to Kali or something like that, right? So what does that mean? It's like we see this whole world changing. What it, who's wearing it? I'm wearing this, now I take it off. Right? I'm still here. I put it back on. I'm still here. There is something unchanging that puts that's showing the changing. Like where is the changing? That's it's her decoration, her ever changing decoration. Every sound had cut off. Every sound had cut off. Every every vibration temporary, right? Her vibration, her manifestation. It's still a pro scene. The, the one has become everything, but it doesn't mean that everything is permanent, that everything is satisfying, that everything is infinite. The world of name and form and name, uh, time, space, and causation is impermanent. Right, finite, right, temporary, right, and therefore not fully satisfying a certain type of thing, right. So we're looking at the one, not just the one. We shouldn't get caught on on her skulls, but who's wearing the skull? What's the reality that shines through it? What's the, what's where? What's the? Uh, she's jagadatri. She's not just the jagat, the world. She's the support of the world, right. You know that's the important thing. Is that we don't just call her jagat, 
She's the world. Okay, she, yes, she's the world. We should, this is also her, right? She supports it. She wears it. She's the, the, it's, she's the essence of it. She contains it, right? She's the womb in which everything is born, is born, lives, and dies. She's the, the substratum of everything, right? So that's, I think, part of the uh, meaning of... of, of, um, of um, and also in Tibetan Buddhism, this is an important point, and it's not unrelated, because they've boldly taken these things <laughs> without the restrictions of Hindu society. They've, you know, in the mountain cultures up there, they've taken these ideas and just ran with them, you know? So sometimes to see, and because nature of Buddhism, they write on these things. Hindus don't write these things. Uh, we have ritual texts with very little philosophical reflection recorded on these points. Tibetans, it's not the same as the Hindu tradition, Right, but they've they've um they've written about it. They write carefully, theologically, philosophically describing these things. That's a benefit of the Buddhist mind and temperament, right? So we have some benefit of Hindu tantra. You can understand some of Hindu tantra from Buddhist tantra with the the, the understanding that it's not exactly the same, right? In Hinduism, really, the Shaivite, Shaivite tantra, has, the Kashmiri tantra, has written more philosophically than the, than the Shaktas have. But anyways. Um, uh, uh, they say like when you see like these wrathful deities. Of course, I'm overly simplifying, and somebody will, will can can contra- contradict me correctly, right? But when you see one one understanding, when you see like like when you see a beautiful meditating Buddha, right? Of course, that beautiful. That's Buddha. He's the, the, the Buddha mind and the the divine reality beyond, like that. So that's beautiful, right? But then you see that same Buddha now transform into a wrathful deity, or seemingly wrathful deity. Mon- we can almost say monstrous deity. Right, even Kali is seen almost monstrous in, in the Chandi and other texts like that, right? And so some have held, right? This is not everyone's like that. Is that's to show you so you don't get caught on it, caught on it? Not in certain, not to get caught on the form, not that we have to go beyond the Buddha or go beyond Kali in the normal that type of way, right? But to show there's something we have to catch the radiant, the the, the timeless radiance that shine through these forms. We get caught on the form, like, wow, bah, beautiful. But there's a radiance that shines, like this beautiful light. The light bulb is gorgeous. Without the light bulb, we wouldn't have the light. But the light is what counts in the light bulb. Right? So when we see the light bulb, we're seeing light. Right? But, but you get caught on the light bulb, and the, and the light's gone, it's like, wow, what a beautiful light bulb. Right? So beautiful. And you don't even notice if it's on or off. It doesn't matter. You know, you have to, so that is, to not get caught on the light bulb, sometimes, this is one way, is it, that to break your attachment only to that the, 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 the thing you love the most, the thing you meditate the most, may become in such a way where you can't hold it, right? It's like, oh, like, it becomes like, like horrible rather than wonderful. This is one way, I mean, I have a hard time because I look at fierce deity, I don't see them horrible, right? We see them as transformative, our mother, you know, it's, like it's, it's a matter of temperament. But this is some have said within Buddhism and, and like that, that's one way of understanding these kind of fierce, kind of agoda type of aspects of the deity. Right, including garlands of skulls and things like that. I got five minutes. <clears throat> a garland of heads from her neck, dripping blood. This is also interesting. So this is, uh, of course, is a, a Kali image, right? And blood. Now I, we're giving in, we're giving interpretive, uh, um, uh, giving some interpretation and meaning from our understanding, from our study, from tradition from yogis and tantrics and siddhas and sadhus and our tradition and what we studied and been told and discovered, right? This is where we're sharing, right? It could all be just completely, completely wrong, right? Yeah. Kali could just have a garland on his head and it drips blood. And we give all this type of meaning we want to give to it, 
and but just maybe it's our, we're trying to attribute some meaning to something we don't understand. And I think that's true because we don't understand her. She's the Gumbari. She, she's beyond. Cons- all these things are, if, even if our, even our philosophical conclusions about her are that we cannot have philosophical conclusions about her. She could just be an ancient tribal deity. She could have been, you know, all, all the things that some people will accuse. Oh, this is just a, a, a village girl that got deified. Maybe. Right now, this is we consider this God now. So whatever the history of it, whatever whatever her ancient history is, her recent history, her now history is that this is how we worship God and we worship the Divine Mother, like the, the, the Supreme Goddess. So no problem with that, right? But still, there is there is there is a tradition of interpreting these verses and from a yogic, tantric, um, a philosophical view. And so in that, blood is not just blood; blood is life. Right, and you see, when somebody when you do a blood offering, you're offering life, right? Not, I'm not encouraging people to go out and do blood, but that's what it is. It's actually offering. You're offering life, right? It's a, that's a that's a big thing to offer, right? We can argue now whether or not we have the right to offer life. We don't make life. That's these are modern arguments, not ancient arguments, right? You know, uh, uh, to get the blood, you have to kill something. That's offering life, right? <laughs> that's the thing, right? And so that that that's the thing. So 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 we try to take it more symbolically, right? So what so life why is blood the symbol of life? Blood is a symbol also a symbol of prana. Right? So blood is a and and like in when we did the uh, that we talked about the um um the uh Bhuta Shuti, when we meditate on prana shakti. Right? She's red with six arms, right? Sitting on a red lo- blood load red lotus. She's the red like the color of vibrant blood. She sits on a lotus, the color of red vibrant blood in an ocean of red vibrant blood. Right? She's a symbol of prana. Right, life, life energy. She is like that, and for and so now, rather than than cutting the heads off things and, and, and offering the blood, we have red. Or today she's wearing orange, but she had red saris, red ribbons, red red flags, red kumkum, red powders, red you know uh, uh, you know red. You know, today I'm not wearing, but sometimes we even during pujas we wear red cloth. Right, these are the symbol of the, there's a tantric symbol, a shakti symbol. It's shakti, but because, why is it the symbol of shakti? It's the color of blood. If that's that 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 strong, uh, vibrant pranic uh, thing, and so these heads that she wears, right? All all the manifested all manifested experience, all manifested things that are also being killed. The express it's 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 what's the force behind it? They're being expressed by shakti, right? Or prana, or here in this kind of gory, literally gory, in both the English and the Sanskrit version of it, uh, uh, description is it's the it's it's use of symbol. If you could use a severed head for the symbol of manifested um, uh, experiential reality, it's not a big thing to use blood as a symbol of prana and shakti and it's man, the movement the, the 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 and you can see life blood blood is I mean as long as blood flowing we're alive, right. Right, uh, 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 when blood flows in a woman's body, then cr- they can create new life, right? You know, uh, so it's it's blood is it's the symbolism of blood is strong. Not just symbolism, the actuality. We don't have to. Blood's not a symbol; it's the real thing, right? <laughs> blood is life I mean, in a certain sense, right? And red blood is full of prana, full of uh, we would say full of oxygen, you know, in, in a more medical description, right? But but symbolically, it's full of prana, full of shakti. So she's manifesting continuously. But everything she manifests is already dying. It's already in the name and name and form. As soon as it enters the realm of, of, of manifestation, the, 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 it already has a, a, a temporary you know, sticker on it. 
best use by, use by, use by. It becomes obsolete immediately, right? You look at every sticker, it's going to be already obsolete, right? Whatever you purchase, right? It's already obsolete. So it's okay. You do what you do. In our world, we see, oh, this is, this is what we got. This is beautiful and this is sufficient, you know. But it's never, you can't grab it. Everything you grab, it's, gonna, it's already dead. It's already bleeding. The life is, is leaving it already. You see this, this idea? This is, I mean, I may be jumping, but this is a traditional way, uh, one way of understanding some of these, some of these things. Maha megha prabham shamam tata chaiva digambarim kanta vattam sata mundali gali ruri architam. As splendorous as a huge cloud, dark, she wears space as her garment. A garland of heads hangs from her neck, dripping blood. So a small little picture of the simple image of Ma that's not so simple, very deep. Uh, thank you for your kind attention. Are there any questions or comments? You have, a, you have 30 seconds only because we have to do everything. <laughs> and I have 15 seconds to answer. One of those clock things that they do for um, chess. Good. Correct answer. You all, you all fully agree? God bless you. <laughs> Good. Not a, not a, not a.